Hello and welcome to Real Relations with Dr. J.C. Our focus this afternoon and each time we speak is on you. We want to encourage you, nurture you, lift you up, and make you feel better about your relationships and yourself throughout life. We are so pleased this afternoon to have a very well-respected guest. Uh, I won't tell you all the details about her. She will introduce herself, uh, other than saying she is an expert in domestic abuse and violence. Um, I am going to now turn our attention to Dr. Sharon Davis. Dr. Davis, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. It is Thank so you good for to asking. Wonderful. I just thank you so much, Dr. J.C., for allowing me to come and be on this show and to talk about important issues. Well, we are super glad to have you because there are many issues around violence that are happening all around us, and yes. we need someone with your kind of expertise to help us walk through this stuff. I want you to know that right now. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here in whatever way that I can uh, make any kind of difference. I'm just happy and thankful. All right. So, Dr. Uh, Davis, which, and I, I slipped and I called you Dr. Ellis. I know you from someplace else. Dr. <laughs> Davis, tell us um, something about you. What do you want us to know about you? Well, you know, I always introduce myself in terms of the P's that have uh, led my life. And I, I introduce myself as a pastor, uh, as a police, as I uh, am retired now, a professor and a parent. And in all of these areas, I do specific work with issues of gender violence, the criminal justice system, especially as it relates to the empowerment and raising the self-esteem of women and girls, and to raise awareness of, uh, of issues uh, through education and advocacy. Well, now, so let, me, so let me slow you down, Doc. Let me slow you down. You said you're a pastor and police. How does that work together? <laughs> well, it works. I... Um, I, I, some of my friends used to call me the Jamaican with the many jobs. <laughs> but I like to uh, think about my life as, as just being a plethora of many areas in which uh, I was always concerned about uh, justice and, and doing the work that, that I believe God has called me to be. It started as a police officer. And from there I received the call to, to ministry and went to seminary and, and became a pastor. Oh. And I needed to do more. So I went back to school and, and, and studied for my Ph.D. and became a, a professor. And I've always been a parent. And so that frames everything that I think about being the children of, 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 of two adult, a parent of two adult children and a blended family, a total of six adult children and my 14 goodness. grandchildren. So I'm, I'm always concerned about their well-being. Well, Dr. Davis, wait a minute. Do. Do, you, do you get a chance to rest? Yes, actually I do. I have many people that, that say to me, you're so busy, you know, that you don't have time for me, but what I'm doing uh, that they call busy is taking care of myself. And so when they can't reach me, that's the general term that they use, you're so busy. So what they're really trying to say is I can't find you to meet my needs, and that's because I'm meeting mine. So I certainly uh, do take the time to care about me. Oh, that's, that's really good to hear. And so right now we're going to come together and – invite you to kind of ah, kind of come down and relax with us while yes, we consider yes. real relations for life. And uh, let's see what we can discover together as we uh, take these next few minutes that we have together um, to carefully and calmly consider some very important matters uh, that we are dealing with. In particular, I want us to talk about social media. Yay. And Facebook and the ways in which it has become a problem for our youth. And I know you know all about that, so I'm going to just let you just take over because, uh, you know, I just follow you. And what do you think about all of this? Well, I think that uh, uh, social media and, and Facebook, as we're uh, discussing in, in uh, particular, has a lot of opportunities for um, um, for contact and communication, and it serves a wonderful, wonderful purpose. Mm -hmm. But I also, um, I also understand that, uh, especially when it comes to our teens, but not only our teens, but we're focusing on that today, that when it comes to our teens, uh, there are so many red flags and uh, danger zones and, and opportunities for, um, for, for things to happen within that medium that would not be 
helpful for our, for our children. Yes. Well, you're right. It's, it certainly is fun. I, I do a lot on Facebook. I enjoy it. Yes. Uh, but, um, you know, they said that youngsters actually don't use Facebook anymore. It's only adults, um, older adults actually, are using Facebook. What do you say? I think that uh, we're probably trending that way. <laughs> Excuse me, I had to cough. I think we're, we're trending that way. But I believe that um, that, that um, uh, young people are still on Facebook. It may tr- uh, trend differently later. And, and really, Dr. Dr. J.C., if we, um, even if they do not use it, there are so many other uh, mediums that they can use that feeds right into uh, Facebook. And so it, you might as well say they're on it because even if they're on Instagram or other sites, they connect those uh, things to each other, Twitter, so that when they post on one, it shows up on all of the mediums that, that are available. So I really do think that they're still on it, even if they're not directly uh, directly on it. Oh, my goodness. You're, now, you're really talking about something that, you know, all of us do not know. You're saying that it is possible to post on Twitter or Instagram and have that show up on Facebook. Oh, Absolutely. You know, so, sometimes when you see those little quick, what is it, I don't know, 150 words for, for Twitter, if not less than that, whatever the words are that you can um, um, uh, tweet, uh, when, when you see them show up short on Facebook, you know, more than likely they, they tweeted it first, and then it appeared on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Or I they'll wonder- go to Instagram and post many pictures and say things about it, and uh, it'll show up also. And sometimes it'll say Instagram on Facebook, or it'll say, you know, uh, 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 Twitter, and you'll know that it came from some other place, but it landed on Facebook. Uh-huh, I see. Well, you know, I, I and I'm sure some others listening have been aware, and we've heard that uh, sometimes kids get together, go to malls, and cause a lot of disturbance. And the way they have come together is by uh, some kind of communication they've had on social media that, that somehow Facebook or some other kind of media account uh, youngsters are using to decide where they're going to meet and what they're going to do. And uh, it's been much to the detriment of some uh, business centers, uh, like in sh- downtown Chicago or um, shopping malls. You're, you're aware of that, aren't you? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, and then take it this one step further. We know also in Chicago, and in the last two weeks in Alabama, there have been uh, some terrible news stories um, where some youngsters have found themselves in fatal uh, accidents. Yeah. Um, because of Facebook. Tell us something. What do you know? Well, I, I know about the one case. I don't remember the uh, state that it was in, but there was they were actually having these conversations on Facebook, and um, and they agreed. To, the, these teens agreed to meet at a particular place to fight, Mm-mm. to fight. And uh, uh, when they when they got there, I don't know if they were fighting over a young man, but many of these fights are over uh, uh, the boys. Uh, that go to their schools, but whatever the fight was about, they got to fight. And then one of the uh, boyfriends of the of one of the young ladies that was in the group fighting uh, shot into the crowd mm. and and killed one of the people that were involved in the uh, not his girlfriend, but killed one of the people that were involved. And that was all originated from um, conversations that were that were held on Facebook. Yeah, see, that's what I am really worried about. Um, and, and you're talking about that, that incident in Alabama. And, yes, that's the one. And the young one. girl was 14 years old. Yeah, very and young. Very young. And, and, it, and let's make this point very clear. 13 years old, 14 mm-hmm. years old, they should not be considered in any way as adults. Uh, Absolutely. They're children. Absolutely. And they're trying to figure out how to live their lives. And so Absolutely. it's real important that we don't forget that they're children and know that we've got to continue to guide and shape and, and develop them. Yes, um, so, yes so, I agree. So as you, as you agree, and, and in the story, and, I, and as you're a pastor, um, and you're also a police officer and a parent, so I know you have special things to say here. I read that this young girl in Alabama told her mother that she just had to go out and fight this girl out in the park 
And I read that her mother said, well, she started to pray because she knew that wasn't going to be good. Oh, what do you, I mean, is there something wrong with that story? In- I think a lot is wrong with it, Doctor. I, you know, it, it's one thing to to pray for somebody, but that's the, uh, uh, but her saying I have to go out here and fight this person, what is a, what is a parent thinking uh, to, uh, to even allow their child to put themselves in harm's way over an emotion that they're, that they're feeling? If it's something that's totally out of your control, you have no access to, I just you know, humbly say pray. Sometimes that's all you can do is pray. But this, uh, this mother lost a lot of opportunities. And it wasn't a responsible uh, response for a parent to even allow the, the daughter to go out and, and after she announced, she was honest. You know, many children would just say, well, I'm going to the store, I'll be right back. But she actually said what it is that uh, she wanted to do. And so the parents still. Doc, let, let me slow you down then. You're saying, you asked the question, what is this parent thinking? And uh, what I'm aware of too, Sally, is only the, this little girl's mom was um, parenting, at least in that, in that particular call, uh, when she learned about the girl's decision to go out and to the park and have this fight. Um, and we don't hear about her dad or her grandparents, and I want to make that point. So I don't want to lay all that heavy responsibility on a mom, but when you raise the question, what was she thinking, let us know what kind of thoughts should she have had, what should she have done? Well, I think that, you know, well, I can only speak for me. You know, if I had total access to her, if she was in my person, I just wouldn't allow her to go anywhere. So you would say don't go? Yes. And if I was talking with her from a place where we weren't in the same uh, uh, space, I would, number one, call the police. Uh, and, and I would get out there myself. I would find some way to intervene so that this girl would not be put in harm's way. So you would actually get it uh, involved. And oh, well, suppose, definitely. Suppose, you know, suppose she said, no, Mom, I'm, I'm going to go because my friends are there. I mean, you know, that's important, right, her friends. Yeah, well, it's, it's difficult for me to even relate to a no mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. I, I just didn't come up in that era. Oh. You know, and uh, and so it's difficult for me to relate to a, a, a child telling me what they're going to do in the first place. And it's my responsibility as an adult, uh, as that child's parent, as that child's protector, as that child's caregiver, to, to make sure that she grows into a healthy adult. So and so the accountability and the responsibility, you know, uh, will always be on the parent because the children are not even mature enough to make decisions. I mean, I don't think adults need to just go out and fight someone, let's not a child. Yeah, well, you, you say you don't think adults just go out and fight someone? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say, we are listening to WDJYFM on 99.1 on your radio dial or on your internet station. And we look forward to continuing this really <laughs> important conversation with Dr. Sharon Davis. Um, we'll be right back. look at someone who is successful and they look at them and think that it was an instantaneous thing. Um, they don't know the passion that that person put in, the time, the, un- the unlimited hours that they put into whatever it is that they are doing. The what is this, that is what we are doing here with Beautifully Driven. We are highlighting these stories, these obstacles, not to show you the negative, but to show you what it takes, the ins and the outs 
um, to become successful and then even define what is your level of success? What does that actually mean to you? We are here for that entrepreneur, that budding entrepreneur. We are here for that entrepreneur who has been in business for years and needs to just reshape uh, their whole theory or process of how they've been doing business. We're here for that person who just wants that fresh look on life, whether it's going back to school, whether it is just being in a different relationship. We are here to just kind of show you the ins and outs and just the tips to just keep it beautifully driven. back with Dr. Sharon Ellis Davis. Dr. Sharon Ellis Davis um, is uh, someone I have uh, known a little while and have great respect for. And um, we know that she has many hats. She is parent. She is a pastor. She is a professor. She is a police officer. And so we are really grateful to have her shine the light uh, on what we're talking about today is social media and really the healthy way in which our children can learn to relate to uh, the kind of power and possibilities of um, communicating online. But we're also informing parents and teachers and all those uh, experts and professionals and caring people that work with our youngsters. So, Dr. Davis, we are back. And thank you so much for what you shared with us thus far. Um, uh, we covered quite a bit of ground. Is there something you want to say uh, before we go into some other deeper matters? Well, I just I just want to say that um, that that nothing uh, uh, that nothing about this conversation that I'm having is saying that that social media is a a negative uh, a negative environment. You know, because I believe that we have uh, a multitude of powerful uses for, for social media. But what I want to, want to stress as we're talking about the things that happen are the things that we should be uh, are concerned about and aware of as we're moving into this whole new age of, of technology, uh, of social media, of ways that we communicate and, and make sure that we know uh, that the things that we should be concerned about uh, or at least uh, pause to think about and, and how we will handle this, especially with our our children and the people that we are responsible for. Yeah, you know what? You raise a very good point because this kind of communication is a little bit different than what uh, maybe we grew up with when you know, it was just oh. the one telephone in the house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so um, we couldn't, we had the rules about not talking on the phone after 9 o'clock. And, um, yeah, my parents thought I was um, talking too much on the telephone. They just walked past me and unplug it. Uh-oh. <laughs> and they were totally disconnected. Well, suppose you got mad. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't care nothing about me being mad <laughs> or me being upset. You know, it's just, it's, it's just interesting because that's some of the... Um, the concerns that we have, uh, you know, when you go through nostalgia and everything wasn't so nostalgia, but it certainly was a way for check and checks and balances. You know, the sign that the sign that we were in the bed safe and sound and at least on our way to sleep is that the house was quiet. You know, there were no, there was just major phones. We didn't have phones in our bedroom. They were all landline phones. Mm-hmm. And so once we went to bed, turned the lights out, we were through for the night. But that's not the situation with, uh, with technology. Technology gives us access to our own telephones, our own ways of communication, and when it's quiet in the room, uh, I guarantee you that most children, especially teens, when they're in their room, is always quiet because they're on social media. Uh-oh. And so we don't know even when they go to sleep at night if they have their technology, if they're sleeping, which, that they need a good eight to nine, ten hours of sleep to go to school and be ready for school. If they're up at three, I, I, I was on Facebook the other day and I saw someone that put, uh, pray for me, I take my ACT test tomorrow, and it was three in the morning. Oh, no, now that's really, that's really hair-raising. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Well, so let's ask this audience to consider this. I mean, all you who are listening out there, do you really know oh. what your children are doing on social media? You know what, uh, Dr. Ellis Davis, you remember, um, 
they used to have some commercials or some kind of uh, public uh, information kind of uh, uh, alert on television when they would say it's ten o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Do you, Absolutely. Do you recall that? I recall it. And, and when we lived on the north side of Chicago during that time, and and we had that street light rule. And by the time the, the radio said it was 10 o'clock, do you know where your children are? We needed to be inside the house on our way. Mm-hmm. Or our parents, you know, hair rollers and, and pajamas and all would come out looking for us. Oh my goodness. So we been, needed to be there. That was so embarrassing when we were out oh, yes. later than a parent may have wanted to, and then they meet us on the street. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. But I think we need some parents like that again. Oh, yeah, but they just don't know where the kids are. I mean, you know, there, there were limits. There, 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 were, there were rules about where we are. Our parents could walk out and find us. We wouldn't dare transgress that. Mm-hmm. So um, we had respect it, for parents, too. Yes. Well, I, well, we ask this again. So parents, think about it. When you turn in for the night and you know that mm-hmm. your child, your youngster, even if, if your youngster is 17 years old, uh, do you know if they're actually in the bed sleeping? Should yes. we really know? Uh, Dr. Ellis Davis says we should know. A great uh, and, question. Great yeah. question for reflection. Yeah, we need, we need to know and we need to be actively involved. So I heard recently um, from someone who told me her 12-year-old uh, got into a terrible fight um, at school. And she was waiting for her daughter to come out of school. And she never did come out. And um, it was clear what the guidelines were in terms of parent pickup, you know, this child knew that her mom would be waiting for her after school. But on this day, she didn't come out. And so mom went searching around the school, uh, couldn't find her for a bit, went to the office. Eventually, you know, they looked where it was pretty scary for for this mom. And then finally, uh, the daughter emerged, and it was learned from the daughter's confession that she had been in a fight. Uh, and... She knew that was going to happen because the day before there had been this discussion on Facebook. Yeah. And as you already said, it was about a boy. So what are what are some things we can do to really know what our kids are doing with Facebook at night or even during the day at school? What what do we do? Yeah, yeah I think it's, uh, we're living in a time where it's difficult to to catch up with the many ways. Uh, the, the having a a, a smartphone. Uh, on us is, has gotten to be a way of life. It has gotten to be uh, that that's just part of who you are. It's the attachment is how we get in touch with you, is how uh, working parents keep up with their children. And so it's difficult to, um, to really keep up with what they're doing. And so we have to monitor uh, the, use of the, the, the use of the phone. We have to make sure that at nighttime, that those phone, that those that media are taken from them and putting, you know, I would dock it somewhere in a in a central location where after a certain time it's not even touched. Mm. And if they're at school, you know, if they're at school, then they're at school. They should not be using uh, uh, social media while they're at school. And so, if you're monitoring it and if you're checking usage and minutes and times, you'll see if there's an excess uh, excess amount of of communication time on Facebook and other mediums, and then you begin to set limitations and, lim- and, and restrictions. I was reading on, on, uh, on Facebook the other day, and it said, uh, if, you want to, if you want to punish your children, don't take their technology away from them. Take their cords away from them so they can't charge it. Oh, you know? that's <laughs> and, and so just finding we have to be creative and, 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 and speed up with the times to figure out what creative ways can we keep our children safe and focus on that which is important. And you know, we have to begin to, to begin to think of creative ways to do that you know, rather than say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've got we've to think of creative uh, things to do, and we also got to talk to each other and yes. see what works for other uh, Absolutely. You know, parents, guardians, caretakers. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we're living in such a, a, a crazy world where, where parenting sometimes is much different and when we were growing up, that these apparatuses that these children have access to tends to be the babysitter. Mm-hmm. And so rather than monitor what it is that people are, you know, that, that they're doing with it, we say, okay, they're quiet. Mm-hmm. 
And so if they're quiet, that means I get some peace, I get some me time, I get some rest. But, you know, there's not a lot of that kind of time when you have children, especially when they get into those preteen and teen years. You feel strongly about this. I can hear oh, it in your voice. Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. So, so why not say maybe, and you tell me what's right here, um, that a youngster cannot have his or her own face, I'm sorry, iPhone, Android, or Facebook account, or Google Plus account, whatever it is, uh, until they are of the uh, maturity to be able to handle it. So maybe they can't have their own until they are 16 years old, uh, but still monitored by, um, you know, mom, dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle. Um, yeah. What do you I think, think about that, that? I think that our children have different maturity levels, and our, our and parents have different philosophies about the freedom that, and the opportunities that they want to give their their children. So some parents, I'm sure, have um, not allowed their children on, on social media and has a limit has, has limited you know how they have access to technology, and that's the way they keep them safe. You know, and, and other parents say, I want my children to have uh, 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 exposure to all of this and have this because that's the kind of world that we're living in now. It's not the kind of world where you you know where you where you um, uh, 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 just sit back and try to figure out what's going on. People Google. You know, people look for information on technology. They uh, parents are able to communicate with their children, and so it's convenient. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the technology of the day, it's the opportunity of the day, and it's also convenient for us as parents in terms of, especially when we're working jobs. And so it may not be as practical, you know, when they're younger, you may can keep them off of it. But uh, as they get older, they're going to put that pressure. They're going to put that pressure uh, for many reasons. Yeah. And then sometimes the schools provide them with it uh, because that's how they learn. You know what schools really are uh, providing uh, youngsters with uh, different kinds of uh, devices, particularly the iPad. And uh, you're right, you, there are the problems with uh, social media and the use of technology, but then we've got to remember this is going to be our society going this forward. This is the way of life. You know, they, there's so much social media out there that probably parents who are not young parents can't even keep up with the many ways that they can get on social media, the many sites they can get on, or how to get on it, or, you know, how to monitor once, you know, once they are on it. So this, this technology and use of these uh, apps and everything that's coming up now, uh, uh, a lot of the parents are ignorant to it. The children are learning it like a snap. A five-year-old can take your, take your phone and do things you can't even do with it. <laughs> and, and they learn that at school, too. Yeah, and, and of course, and this is going to be important for them because it's it's going to matter in terms of their education. Absolutely, and, and moving into the global uh, environment for work, so yes. they really also have to know it. So I think there's going to be some time spent teaching children what is the right thing for them to do and the best way for them to interact. Yes. Um, yeah. Are there any kind of uh, guides you can? Give us from the Bible, for example. I mean, how do you how do you treat people on Facebook? Is it different from treating people in a certain way in our everyday lives? You're talking about in how we tend to act on Facebook versus our everyday lives. Yeah, should we change how we treat people? Because sometimes on Facebook, I see people uh, kind of you know bearing their their nude body. I have read people saying really bad things to one another, um, and they've used profanity. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, do you think that those same rules about respecting people applies when you're on social media? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I work for a Faith Trust Institute that's based in Seattle, Washington, as a as a as a trainer, uh, especially in in clergy healthy boundaries. And we 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 work with pastors uh, and and faith leaders to help them to understand all types of boundaries but it's, you know but especially those that are related to social media and how you can how you can uh, use social media positively but also negatively and how you can also get in trouble using uh, social media in the wrong ways because what social media has a tendency to do is gives you a screen to hide behind and so therefore you might make decisions that crosses boundaries quicker than you would if you were uh, uh, face-to-face with someone and that's what we need to know. You say you you offer this training for uh, pastors, faith leaders, 
Um, and, you know what, we've got to hear more about that. But we've got to go to a pause, and we're going to get some more details about the Faith Trust Institute and this fine work that Dr. Ellis Davis is doing. And we will give you um, some ways in which to find um, or contact Faith Trust. We'll be right back. around with hair dyed, fried, and laid to the side. Black women's hair is severely damaged. Welcome to another segment of Ask Mr. Gray. Today's topic is how to treat overprocessed hair. Lots of women suffer from dry, overprocessed, or what we call fried hair. Overprocessed hair is often dry and very brittle. First thing you want to do if you find yourself in that condition is to give your hair a break from further treatments like coloring, relaxing, or straightening. And avoid products with harsh ingredients like ammonia, uh, alcohol, or uh, sulfur. Here's some tips. Tip number one, trim split ends off of, of your damaged hair or have your hairdresser do it. Number two, use a sulfate free shampoo to, for a gentle wash to avoid further damage. Number three, comb your hair while it's still wet as your hair is stronger wet than it is dry. Number four, coat the tips of your hair with a leave-in conditioner each time you shampoo. This helps seal the split ends and restores the shine. Number five, apply a hot oil treatment once a week to add moisture. Number six, use a moisturizing spray to add moisture to the hair. It'll revitalize the lymph hair, eliminates, eliminate split ends, and restore a healthy shine. For additional questions, send me an email at mrgreg at newgrowhair.com. That's mrgreg, M-R-G-R-E-G, at newgrowhair.com, N-U-G-R-O-H-A-I-R.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, my name is Erin Udell, and I'm the founder and executive director of My Own Home Project. Um, I'm an operating room nurse, and I live in Palm Beach County, Florida, and um, I do the angel tree every year in the Gardens Mall, and one year I um, picked an angel off the tree, and it was a young man who was exiting foster care that wanted dishes and pots and pans and glassware and all the stuff you need to start your life. So I did some research and found out that when they leave foster care in Palm Beach County, traditionally they would leave with a garbage bag with their personal belongings in it. So that was the beginning of my own home project. And um, so we work with the Department of Children and Families, ChildNet, VitaNova, other groups, and we, um, we have distribution parties where kids come and they um, basically pick out all the stuff they need to start their lives. You just get everything you would give your own kids when they move out. I feel like maybe uh, this is a special, um, has special meaning for me personally because I was homeless when I was 15. And so I understand what it's like to be on the streets and not have anybody um, there to help you. Um, life is hard enough and these kids really are so strong and they're so appreciative. We're giving them, you know, a sense of dignity, and we're giving them a sense of ownership, pride and ownership, and um, and we're giving them a home. It's not an empty apartment. It's their home. It's all theirs. It's all new. No one's ever owned it but them. Uh, the implications are really great um, because if you don't have a home, what do you have? I'd like to introduce you to Shannon. She's a foster child from uh, Palm Beach County who was aged out of foster care. She's going to share her story with you. And she was a recipient of a distribution party from My Own Home Project. My name is Shannon. I'm 18 years old. And I aged from the foster care system January 3rd, 2014 in Palm Beach County. I ended up in foster care. Uh, I was in and out my whole life as a baby. 
And as I got older, um, my grandma took custody of me and my two brothers. I don't know my father and my mother. She, she couldn't take care of us because she does drugs. I know my grandmother and she took care of me and my brothers for about a month or so. She ended up calling DCF because she couldn't take care of us. And like it was really hard and my brothers weren't like contributing. They were much older, they're eight years older than me. And the, the group home, it was, it was hard because everyone already had all their friends and it was just like I was I wasn't very social to anybody to anybody so it was like I didn't feel wanted there so I'd run away a lot but I would run away to my grandmother she wouldn't report me she'd keep me there for a few days but then like she'd have to let me go back I felt so alone because when every kid would have their visitations I would call and my grandma would tell me she was coming and she never came. Aging out of foster care was very exciting for me because I was very excited to get out on my own. I thought I could do better than everybody who was around me. Like, can I get out? Can I get out? And finally, when it did come, it was hard <laughs> because like life isn't what you think it is when you're a kid. Like You think it's just, oh, just go get a job and then you'll be rich. And it's not like that. And like you have to work very hard and it's hard to do it alone because no one's there to support you when you need it the most. My own home project, that helped me to give me um, a sense of belonging when I was, when I did get my own house because it gave you like every necessity that you needed. And I went home wanting to go home for once and it wasn't like, I didn't want to be there. And I just put it all in a room and I didn't think anything about it. I went in the living room and I sat on the floor <laughs> and I was just like, wow, it's so empty. It's like, I didn't want to be there. I'm thinking about where can I go? And then I remembered I had all this stuff and I went out and packed and they gave you like homey stuff too, like candles and like things just to make you like, oh, I have stuff. <laughs> like it looks cute. That's what I did and I unpacked everything and it really made a difference. Currently, I'm enrolled in college at Palm Beach State, and I'm doing prereqs, and I'm on my own. I'm thinking about going in the nursing field or radiology. I think that my own home project is a great organization, and I think that people should donate so that other kids who are in my shoes could experience something that's going to change their lives. My Own Home Project is an all-volunteer 501c3 nonprofit in Palm Beach County, Florida. We're helping foster children one child at a time. Won't you please consider helping these kids on their journey to adulthood and independence? Hello, Dr. Ellis Davis. Are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Well, we were talking about the faith trust leadership training that you do, and I'm really excited about that because community leaders are looking for information, and uh, I don't think we often hear about faith trust. Can you tell us more about that? Faith Trust uh, Institute was founded by a, uh, a United Church of Christ ordained uh, clergy person, who was concerned all of her all of her ministry time and probably most of her her time before she was ordained with with developing relationships around clergy and healthy boundaries as well as issues of sexual domestic violence and so this institution that was uh, used to be named the Center for the Prevention of Sexual and Domestic Violence uh, was changed recently to Faith Trust Institute dot org is where it's found. Uh, FaithTrustInstitute.org. Faith yes, and, okay. um, and so we have a multitude of trainers, uh, and the two primary issues are, are domestic violence and um, uh, 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 healthy, healthy boundaries for clergy. But we also have trainers on that site that do healthy, uh, healthy teen relationships, and um, um, many of them are done on the website and are free. It's just about knowing the website and knowing when things are offered, but there are a multitude of issues. I'm going to do a website on um, battered African-American women on the 28th uh, on that site. And so there are different things that uh, the 
the Institute offers free of charge where you can just at least get um, uh, a sense of what we're, uh, of, of the issues that we face around uh, teen relationships, around healthy relationships between uh, 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 couples, uh, around um, issues of clergy, and, and we're trying to extend that to uh, helping the congregation understand healthy boundaries because if one person understands it another person, and another person doesn't understand it, we still have room for um, a travesty for things to happen um, that are not going to be uh, associated with healing. It's going to be associated more with uh, hurting, and we want to do no harm. And so education, I believe, is the, is the best way to do that. And, and I'm sure that if even the public said uh, on that site, this is what we want to hear about and learn about and know about, that the, the uh, people that are, are the founders and the administrators of that site would find people and ways uh, to provide those webinars. Uh, this is excellent. I'm so glad that we know about this resource for community leaders, uh, ministers, uh, church leaders at Faith Institute. Faith uh, dot org. Institute. Did I get that wrong? Faith Trust Institute. Faith Trust Institute dot org. Right, or um, it's either faithtrust.org. But if you Google Faith Google <laughs> Faith Trust Institute, it will show up. Got to Google. You got to yes. use. Got to use that technology. So and it has a Facebook page. And there's a Facebook page. It has a oh Facebook my. page. So uh, you have driven home the point that Facebook has power and it has possibility. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Ma'am. And I think we should really appreciate what uh, the communication. Uh, you, you know, we had tra- travesties in our communities and deaths in our communities, and Facebook has allowed us to say, you know, let's all meet at the church for prayer. Mm. You know, and that's versus one phone call at a time. Now, that's something to think about. You know, and so it's a way to gather people quickly. But we don't want to gather them to fight. We don't want to gather them to to lose their lives. We don't want to gather them to to engage in inappropriate activity. And that's what we have to uh, monitor because this is it's too it's too much for me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot to keep up with. But uh, your point is well taken. We've got to keep up with it. Yes. Um, and uh, we are all aware that developments are happening so fast in technology, um, but uh, we still have to do the best we can because we are committed and we love our children. Well, yes, we do. Yes, as, we do. As we get ready to close here, is there anything you want to uh, leave with us, make sure we don't forget? Well, I, I was thinking about um, the possibility of, of us, us thinking about how we can provide at least a checklist Mm-hmm. Of, of things that, that parents and community leaders could possibly do mm-hmm. uh, to, um, uh, to, to begin to think about how they can intervene. Because I didn't want to leave people thinking, oh, my God, we're hopeless here. No, I think there are many that. things that we can think about doing and that, you know, that, that the audience themselves can begin to think about it and add to, uh, to, to make sure that our children are safe. Well, so I think that we can develop um, a safety checklist. Is that something that you're saying you're volunteering to work on with me? You see, I, uh, I sure. I had some, some things in, in, in my mind about how we monitor and keeping computers in plain sight mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to, to, as we said earlier, to uh, uh, mount all of this technology so that our children can rest at night without seeing that little red light flashing that thinks <laughs> we have to get up and and get on, get on social media, talking to them, open the lines of communication, and finding other activities for these children to do besides and, be on Facebook. And, and, and finding other activities it may mean that we have to create some activities. Absolutely, yeah. because we don't want to lose that personal, that personal touch. We don't want people to think that the only thing they can do is be on Facebook. And, and, and when we're on there, you know, we tend to create a persona, not just teens, but adults do it too. You know, we talk about this wonderful marriage as we're going through divorce. <laughs> you know, and we, and we set up this whole persona about who we want to project. And when people don't accept that, uh, uh, that, that impression of us, we're hurt. Our self-esteem is hurt. Mm-hmm. And so not all the time are we getting who a person is when we really use in Facebook. So and so losing that human that. touch, you just don't want to do that. We don't really know who a person is while we're using Facebook or, or Instagram or any other no. um, social media site. We, we ought not be uh, fooled 
in thinking that because we talk to someone every day via social media, we actually know who they are. Yes, uh, the, uh, I think it's, I don't know if it was Paul Lawrence Dombar or Langston Hughes or one of the African-American poets that said we wear the mask. Mm. You know, and, and Facebook is a wonderful mask that we can yeah. have this pretend life that um, is not real. And then when that pretend life don't work out, we're devastated. Ooh, it, it, you know, you raise uh, even some more important points. We probably got to do this conversation again because it makes me think uh, about so many people I've encountered recently who have said to me uh, in, in in the counseling relationship that um, they knew that they could marry this partner based on the fact they enjoyed knowing each other on Facebook. So they started their, their marital relationship absolutely on Facebook, and let me just say absolutely. this right now: that's not a good idea. It, absolutely, in fact, it's the I worst mean, idea. you know, as we say in uh, at Faith Trust when we're doing our workshops, when it works, it works. Mm-hmm. But when it doesn't, <laughs> it can be devastating. It's devastating. So it's, what I'm hearing from you today is you agree that um, Facebook can be used at its best. There's many possible possibilities and so many. Uh, important and useful things we can do with Facebook and other social media apps. Um, but we should not get confused and think that we can start uh, healthy relationships with people who we meet via social media because we don't know who they are. Absolutely. They're not real relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mm-hmm. saw someone on, on, on uh, one of the talk shows uh, a couple of days ago. It was that same situation. We met on Facebook. I got pregnant. You know, just, it just turns into a drama story that sometimes is even difficult to hear. It takes time. And it takes being with people to know who they really are. It takes time. It takes being with people to know who they are. I'm, and so I'm stressing that because uh, another young man, this is, now he's an adult, a young adult, and, uh, uh, at 34 who thought it was okay and thinks it's really doable to start relationships using text messages. And he said, well, you know, that's what we do. And I'm like, yeah. No. <laughs> and we break up on text message. <laughs> Can't do it with a text message. <laughs> you, you wonder why this is not working out. <laughs> yes. So you raised some important points that we all must consider. Uh, we, we understand that uh, we've got to do more uh, to monitor our children as uh, caring parents or oh, relatives. Oh, we have to be vigilant. You we've know, that's be very a involved. good word to use. We have to be vigilant. And we've got to know what's going on out there with social media. That's just one more piece that we've got to know about. Uh, it's not okay to say, oh, I don't, I don't fool around with that stuff. Yes. Um, so, well, I, I absolutely enjoyed having you on Real Relations for Life with Dr. J.C., and I thank you so much again and again, uh, Dr. Ellis Davis, for your time this afternoon. Well, I appreciate being here. I appreciate you and the work that you're doing, and I appreciate the ways in which you have over the years touched my life, and I'm just so glad to make this connection with you again in the important work that you're doing. What what wonderful words to hear from you, Doc. I tell you what, you know what? For real relations with life, we always say we are together, Absolutely. healing, healthy, Amen. and in harmony. Amen. Have a good afternoon. And you do the same. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. So I was just living my life, had a cross 
communication, but she was already taken. We came to mysterious, she liked me, but couldn't take me serious. One crazy thing about girls is I never know how much they be killing us. Swear to God, I could have blown my life away. Couldn't find another way to escape the pain. Turn to the mind just to find a way. She was already taken yeah. 